You're listening to The Fit Habit, where we explore how to stay well and fit well after 40. My name is Karen McGill. I'm the host of the show. Let's get to it. Hey, everyone. Happy Sunday. It is August 22nd. Holy schmoly, the summer's almost over. Well, here in Austin, it'll go on to like, you know, almost November. (laughs) Personally, I can't wait for the summer to be over because it is like the worst heat of the summer right now here in Austin. Um, If I were still living in Canada, like the first leaf that drops on the ground, like your heart just sinks and you want to scream because you know that's the beginning of the torrential season. Whereas in reverse here in Austin, we are in the thick of our torrential uh, heat season and I can't wait for the fall, but I can't wait for the fall on a number of levels. Um, Just a little life update. We are um, cruising over to Arizona in October for a while to see some friends and just check out Arizona um, and hang in Scottsdale for a bit. And then from there, we are going to uh, head over to California. And this time we're going to SoCal and we're going to, we've rented a little cabin or cottage on Balboa Island. If you're not familiar with it, it is like the sweet little island just off the coast um, near Newport Beach. And it's just, it's stunning. So we're there for a full month, which I am thrilled to bits about because I'm missing California. I haven't been there since we moved here to Austin and um, uh, you never know where our next destination is going to be. So uh, I always recommend that if you are thinking of moving elsewhere, go and hang out there as long as you can. I'm not saying we're moving, but I'm not saying we're not. <laughs> I told you there was a, well, I was actually just put on um, Instagram that uh, I showed, uh, shared the space where I do my podcast. And I said, I get great sound quality, even though I just use my headphones and my phone. Uh, but I do my, I do get great sound quality because I am like surrounded by my clothes. Uh, but usually there's a puppy dog in there uh, destroying the noise with his, there he goes again, shaking his little, shaking his thing. Any hoodle. Today, uh, I wanted to carry on the theme of uh, ADHD, but I also wanted to pull in some more uh, fitness and healthcare content and ideas and really just blend the two. So it's relevant for both, you know, women over 40 who are feeling frazzled and tired and need more energy and vitality in their day and just need a little bit of guidance on, you know, how to prioritize self-care and then add in that element for um, women with ADHD or those who think they have it or women with ADHD tendencies. As I've said before, ADHD is a spectrum disorder, if you will, Uh, and so you can have a little bit of it or you can have a lot. (laughs) Um, so I think this is going to apply broadly to the folks that, um, listen to my podcast, but just based on, uh, the viewers, uh, sorry, the, um, listenership that I've been tracking, uh, this ADHD topic is, I think, of interest to a lot of women. So, uh, I'm happy that this is, um, a topic you want to hear more about. Anyway, there is a blog post that accompanies this. I've written everything out that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, and there's also a printable version. So I encourage you to go back to the blog post for more uh, references. And I will put that in the show notes that you can just kind of clickety click from whatever sound um, audio system that you're listening to this on. And by the way, thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. So uh, the self-care checklist is sort of born of a self-care checklist I did back in 2017. If you've been listening for a while, 
you know, there was a period of time when this podcast actually changed brands uh, from uh, the Fit Habit to Best Self to Burnout, or Burnout to Best Health, duh. <laughs> and then I, I moved it back to the Fit Habit. If you haven't been here a while, I'll give you the sort of the short and skinny on that. Um, I mean, fitness and wellness has always been my main priority, and what I teach is my expertise, uh, along with behavior change and um, mindset change. So uh, in 2017, I experienced like what I thought was burnout and uh, it happened sort of at at the height of a very stressful time in my my career. And, um, you know, we were living in Silicon Valley and it's just, it's just go, 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 go there. Right. And I just started to feel numb. I was like mentally, emotionally, physically checking out. I wasn't happy. Nothing felt fun anymore. Um, I didn't know if it was depression. I didn't know if it was burnout. I did not get like I didn't go to a doctor and share this because um, my first inclination is always to just figure it out myself. And my self today would go back to that self in 2017 and say, no, go see a doctor because it can be um, a faster road to recovery if you have help and perspective uh, and medical advice. Uh, so anyway, I had all those feelings. I had those feels and I thought, that my new direction with my brand was really to sort of focus in on this burnout. I always like to keep my branding, my content, my teaching um, relevant to what I'm going through, right? Because even though, you know, I have the certifications up the wazoo, really, I think that um, teaching comes from experience. And these are the things that I experience. And then I know that they're usually very broadly experienced. So I want to share them with my audience, especially my audience being women over 40. Um, we all share a lot of the same struggles. So long story short, I did flip my brand back to uh, the fit habit, first of all, because I found certain practices that pulled me out of that burnout and I was able to crawl out of it myself. Uh, in retrospect, I wish I had had some um, medical support. I would have gotten out of it a lot faster and maybe not a crawl as much as maybe like a, not a catapult, but a gradual uh, elevation. Um, I think you understand what I'm saying there, but uh, I didn't do that. And when I did start to feel better, I realized that um, best self to burnout or burnout to best self. I don't know why I keep reversing that. It's like a Freudian slip. Burnout to best self. Uh, I felt like that conversation just based on that, that phrase right there focus too much on the negative burnout. I don't ever want to be the person you come to, to focus on what's wrong with you. I want to acknowledge what's we all struggle with, but I want to focus on, so now what? And that has always been, uh, who I am and how I feel most comfortable teaching. Uh, I never want to dwell in the, this is what's wrong with me. This is what's wrong with us. And it's the same thing with ADHD. I don't really consider it a disorder. I think it's just a divergent way of, you know, brain chemistry or thinking and living in the world. And yes, the world is not really designed for our neurodivergent brains, but it's not a disorder. I'm not a disordered person and I don't feel like I'm less than in any way. So I don't really want to focus on here's all the horrible things about ADHD, even though, you know, there's some, there's some definite challenges, but once you work around those, you can find that you can have like a perfectly normal, happy, uh, creative, inspired life, maybe a little bit more fun than the average person. <laughs> um, so I, I hope that makes sense to you that if, when you're coming to me and when you're listening to me, um, I know there's a lot of people out there talking about ADHD. There's a lot of people out there talking about fitness. There's a lot of people talking about, you know, health and wellness over 40 and over 50. But when you come to me, I want you to know that you're always going to hear 
the so now what? What do we do about this rather than dwelling in the challenge itself? I always want to acknowledge challenge, but I also don't want to dwell on it because what you focus on is where you live and what grows. So let's focus on always sort of moving forward, acknowledging where we are, appreciating where we are, looking back and saying, whoa, look where we used to be and where we are now, but let's look forward. That has always been um, a value of mine. Um, and it's also a character strength. And I will talk about character strengths in uh, an, a, a future podcast because in my coaching program, I think I've mentioned I'm going through coach, coaching certification right now, I am learning so much about um, uh, how to Figure out your character strengths, which are something that is inherent in you. And the more you draw from them and apply them to your life, the better your life is going to be. And uh, and it's just such an interesting topic, but I want to make that a topic on its own. So stay tuned. Today, we're going to talk about self-care and I'm going to put it sort of in the form of a checklist. Um, And it applies to women with ADHD or women who are just freaking frazzled. So... um, (laughs) First of all, I want to point out whether you have ADHD or not, and whether you're just like somebody who's overwhelmed and feeling like burnout, we're not always great as women, uh, especially at this stage of life, to take care of ourselves or put ourselves first. I see a lot of women my age, and without any judgment whatsoever, I see a variety of different presentations of age. I'm trying to, to make this like not... This can, this can go kind of judgy if I don't say it properly. Okay, so if you look at a 50-year-old woman, you look at a 50-year-old woman from like, let's say 50 years ago, and you look at a 50-year-old woman now, we look a lot younger now than we did back then. Um, and I think it's because, you know, lifespan has increased and fashion and Botox and all of the things has made us, given us a lot more tools to sort of extend our, our health and our vitality, but also the way we present physically. But I find that once you hit sort of like that 45, 50 mark, even today, uh, you start to see a lot of divergent presentations of what 50 looks like. Um, I think a lot of women who value taking care of themselves um, tend to, you know, maintain their weight a lot better, maintain sort of a stronger, more vital uh, vital or youthful looking appearance Um, Of course, some of that is um, a little help from their plastic surgeon. Uh, But, you know, fitness is not something you can go to a plastic surgeon and get, Uh, you know, good health, good mental health, strong mental health, all of these things, which are all integrated, right? Like the stronger and healthier your body is, the stronger and healthier your mind is. And the reverse is also true. So those of us who really put those value or put those things on uh, a high priority and put them first and put ourselves first tend to age maybe a little bit more gracefully. And that is no judgment to a woman in her 50s who is struggling with weight or health issues or anything like that because it's not like we're all playing with the same level of resources. Some of us have a lot more struggles in life and a lot more important things to deal with than I don't want to say more important things to deal with in our health, but then, you know, getting regular haircuts and a little bit of Botox and stuff like that. Those are very superficial things. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the rituals uh, in our life that, that express how we care for ourselves, that we care for ourselves enough that we're willing to move our bodies and do these various different practices that maintain our health, our vitality, and our youth. And that also therefore express as probably a better looking you as well. 
I always want to take this from the inside out. And then there's those of us that, you know, hit 45, 50, we may have the resources, you know, we may have like a good paying job at this point and a little bit of money in the bank, but you know, we have so many other commitments in our family. We're so used to like taking care of other people. Um, maybe, you know, you're in a sandwich generation where you've still got kids that need you, but you also now have aging parents that need you. Maybe you don't have the financial resources. You have a career you're trying to stay relevant in and still have a life. And all of those things manifest as your self-care, your health kind of hits the bottom of that. And I'm really, really, really going to encourage you to take a little time to think about this and think about how your life might be different if you took those fundamental uh, self-care tools, behaviors, practices that I'm going to share with you today and raise them to the top of the list. If you did it, you know, just for a year or two, how your life might be different. You know, you might avoid a breast cancer diagnosis or a diabetes uh, or pre-diabetes threat. Uh, you might you might add a few years to your life. You might add healthier years to your life, you know? Like you might be able to go hiking in the Himalayas or or in the Alps as opposed to having to sit, you know, at a resort because you can't really move very much. Like there's so much available to us at midlife that I really want you to encourage I really want to encourage you to take your body seriously at this point because Whatever you do today and instill on a consistent, practical basis is going to serve your body and yourself, your best self in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s and your 90s. And you want to be there. You want to be there for yourself, for your grandkids, for your friends, for your family. So with that, let's start talking about some self-care practices that are really going to um, support that. And I've ordered these in, um, in priority uh, of what I think is, is, you know, the big rocks versus the small rocks, big rocks being, I'm sure you may have heard the story, this professor who said, you know, you got to put the big rocks into a jar first, and then, uh, you put the sand in after, and you put the, the water in after that, meaning you've got to put the really fundamental thing. If, Cause if you do the reverse, if you put, um, just water and sand in a jar and then try to put big rocks in afterwards, they're not going to fit. So the big things have to fit in first, and these are the big things. So here we go. Um, I'm going to talk first about sleep, and I've talked about it before, but as we age, it becomes so much more important. Sleep is where you are um, not just processing emotion and um, refining muscle tissue and repairing muscle tissue for all the things that you're doing throughout the day, but it's also uh, rebalancing your nervous system. It is um, helping with memory and cognition, something that we are fighting against as we age. Our brains are starting to just get a little, uh, the, the light in our brain. And when I mean light, I mean, you know, like that brightness is starting to fade a little bit. So we got to fight against that. Just like our muscles start to deteriorate as we get older, we got to fight against that by lifting weight. So Sleep is like lifting weights for your brain and not just in terms of intellect and memory, but also mood, how you show up as a person. The happier you are as an individual is really going to have some impact based on your sleep. And then, of course, the other big piece of that is hormones. Um, And when you're underslept, your hormones unbalanced. So your leptin goes up, your adrenaline goes down, and you feel hungry all the time and you can't satiate yourself and you crave carbohydrates 
this is all tied to your sleep. There's so much research around this. So I encourage you to take a double click on, um, you know, the benefits of sleep, especially as you get older, but especially with ADHD, like we're already dealing with a brain that's perhaps not as optimized or as fish efficient in our prefrontal cortex as somebody who's neurotypical. So sleep becomes extra critical and probably the number one thing that I would recommend for anyone. So on top of that, so once you've got your sleep practice, and again, I'm not assuming that tomorrow you're going to go out and do all of these things because they are quite, um, they're going to take a bit of time and you need to build a, a habit muscle around developing all of these, but they are something that I think if you can do them consistently, it's a payoff. Um, the next one, once you've got your sleep in order, or even as you're doing that, is to move your body for at least 30 minutes every day. You, like I said before, as your as you start to age, probably around the age of 35, your body starts to atrophy muscles. It starts to lose um, muscle mass. Uh, it starts to lose calcium in uh, your bone mass. So everything is starting to like deteriorate. And I hate to use that word deteriorate, but it's like you know you hit that peak at 35, and and now. Uh, it, your youth and vitality and all of your health markers start to just take a not like a, a like a slam dunk, but a slow decline, right? So this at the age of thirty five is really where you got to start paying attention to these things, so that you can keep them not just level, so that your health markers are the same as they were when you're twenty five, but better. Let me tell you, at fifty one. I am way healthier than I was when I was 21. If you took my health markers at 21, where my triglyceride levels were extremely high, my cholesterol, my bad cholesterol was really high, my uh, BMI was probably around 28, 30. I was obese. And now, you know, I've got more muscle. I've got uh, lean muscle. I've got like about eh, 20% body fat. And I'm leaner than I ever have been, but I'm also still strong. And I'm still working on my muscles I'm still, you know, strength training as much as I do not really enjoy weight training very much. I still force myself to do it. I do like um, mat uh, mat workouts and I'm going to do a, an episode on this as well. When I say mat workouts, I mean like yoga, bar, um, body weight exercises, anything you can do in bare feet on just a yoga mat or with a pair of light weights with a lot of time under tension. Um, it makes me feel very balanced in my muscles um, because it includes not just strength, but um, mobility and flexibility. It's just for me a very life-giving exercise, but weight training and using resistance is also really important. So that's on tap for me today, but it doesn't matter where you start. I just, as, if you are not working out for 50 minutes, sorry, sorry, 30 minutes a day, I want you to start somewhere and it doesn't have to be hard. And maybe it's just walking if you are starting from ground zero, but 30 minutes, move your body, get your heart rate elevated, even if it's just a little bit. Trust me when I say this, because I speak from experience, fitness is the gateway to all kinds of self-growth. If you can start with your body and just push it a little bit, push, it's going to be uncomfortable at first. It's going, it's going to be new for the body and your limbic system and your brain is going to say, no, 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 moving too much is uncomfortable. It's going to kill us. It's not going to kill you. And the more you do it, if you can just force yourself and push through that discomfort for, let's say, I don't know, a couple of weeks, couple of months, however long it takes for you. I pray to God that you hear me on this. Uh, you are going to get to a point where your body craves it every day. And I work out, I move my body every day. Work out 
probably implies like some sort of like rigorous exercise. I don't do rigorous exercise every day. Some days it's yoga, some days it's bar, some days it's running, some days it's lifting weights, some days it's just a walk through my neighborhood. Some days it's a bit of both. Some days I work out twice. Some days, the odd time I'll miss a workout, but very, very, very infrequently because I only want to work out on the days that I want to feel amazing uh, and I pretty much want to feel amazing every day. So move your body at least 30 minutes every day. This is going to serve you today and is going to serve you all the way into the future. Um, the next one, big rocks, we're still talking here, is uh, meditate or tap. Uh, I've talked about, uh, we know what meditation is, right? Like it has such a great benefit on the brain. If you, whether you have ADHD or not, this is really going to help your brain slow down. And let me, let me try to explain a benefit of, of meditation that I don't often think is articulated well enough to, let's say, the general public to really see the value of it. What happens when you meditate, and I'm not just talking about five minutes, you know, once in your life, but every day, let's say at least 10 minutes, maybe like 10 minutes, move up to 15 minutes, move up to 20 minutes. You don't have to do more than that. It slows your brain down so that you can actually hear the thoughts you're saying to yourself. This is critical if you have ADHD, but even if you don't, our brains are always talking to ourselves. And the majority of the thoughts that we have, which is around 60,000 a day, are repetitive and negative. I want you to know this. This is scientifically proven that negativity sticks to the brain. Positivity just sort of like passes through because of our cognitive bias towards negativity. When things are negative, when we hear negative feedback, when we hear negative comments, it's a threat. And that lights up our our limbic system, which is that sort of prehistoric system in our brain that's like, this is danger, so we need to be aware of it, pay attention to it, and I'm going to keep reminding you about it. So think about it, 60,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are negative. Most of them are about yourself. You blaming yourself for crap that makes absolutely no sense because all of these are just stories in your head. Makes us miserable. Uh, It makes us anxious. So uh, anxiety, depression, social anxiety, lack of connection, because we're just so afraid to put ourselves out there because we're afraid of not only rejection from other people, but all the stress that's going to cost us in our brain of how did that interaction go? What did that person think of me? That person doesn't like me. Like all of those dumb stories that we run through our head um, are all going so fast that we don't even really pay attention to them, but our subconscious mind does. So we live those things. We really truly do live those things, even though they may not be um, aware, like to your um, conscious everyday mind. Plus our conscious everyday mind is usually like distracted by our phone anyways. We don't know what the hell we're thinking half the time. Meditation slows you down to pause and your thoughts don't stop. You probably will never be able to stop your thoughts but you're able to hear them and see them, not get attached to them and realize, whoa, I'm actually saying these things about myself. And it gives you a minute to say, is this true? Is this even serving me? Is this, you know, is this why I'm not able to move forward in my life? Is this why I'm stuck? Holy smokes. And then maybe you journal after um, you meditate with like, oh my God, look what just came up in my brain. And then you realize that that was just a crappy thought you were thinking about yourself. And you don't have to think that thought at all because A, it's BS and B, it's not serving you. And so you can start to like acknowledge those thoughts, let the feeling behind the thought go. Because as you're thinking like, 
let's say you're meditating and you realize that you've been thinking something really horrible. So that thought comes into your mind. You don't necessarily attach to it and run off with it, but you just let it sit there for a minute. There's a feeling underneath that thought. And it's actually the feeling underneath the thought that you want to focus on. Like maybe it's a tightness in the chest or like a tightness in the stomach. The chest and the heart area is usually for me. So when I have like a, a thought that comes up and I see it, it burns. In my, it's, it doesn't burn. It's like somebody's stepping on my chest. And I can intellectualize that thought away, um, but it doesn't really do anything. What I want to do is look underneath the thought at the burning sensation and just kind of feel that and be with it. And if you can sit there with it in your meditation, feeling that burning chest, that burning sensation in your chest, that is processing emotion. That is bringing up your drudgery and your shit and your trauma from the past, bringing it up, like literally feeling it. Remember, emotion, it's like an electrical current, emotion in your body that's coming up and you're not intellectualizing it and you're not overthinking it. You're just feeling wherever that's coming up for you and waiting for it to dissipate and just sort of saying to yourself, I'm safe, I can feel this and it passes. Anyways, that's how I see a meditation and that's how it works for me. If you are, let's say, ADHD or somebody who just can't meditate, like it just, you can't sit still. EFT or emotional freedom technique is um, a process where you sort of talk yourself off of the ledge. So maybe it's talking yourself out of uh, an emotion of not feeling enough or feeling anxiety or stress. And as you're doing that, you're tapping on meridian points. I have a blog post on my blog about this. So go to my website, The Fit Habit, and just search for EFT. You'll find it. There's so many resources on this. It has been um, psychologically proven to help women with ADHD reduce their anxiety. And just people with anxiety, it's been, um, they're using this technique a lot with um, veterans to help with PTSD as well. So definitely worth exploring. Um, there's a great app. It's called this tapping solution. Uh, I'm, they're not an affiliate or anything like that, but I use it and it's really, really helpful. So those are my sort of top three, meditate, move and sleep. Uh, I think they're so important. And if you can get those three under control, the following ones are going to be a little bit easier. So the next one I've got here is take your meds. <laughs> if you have ADHD, sometimes you're going to forget to take your meds. I just got myself um, a pill box. So, you know, like one of those things where it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I put my medications in it. So I like I'm a legit old person now, <laughs> but it does help me and it keeps me organized. Um, and mine has an AM and a PM because I do take meds in the morning and in the afternoon. So I would recommend that. Um, I just had my meds by my toothbrush uh, earlier, but sometimes I would forget it. So this this works for me now with this little pillbox on my kitchen counter. Um, the next one, uh, start your day with a protein-rich meal. So I'm not suggesting you have to start your day with breakfast. A lot of people fast. A lot of people find benefit from that. I fast most days. I fast usually until about 11 o'clock. I do my workouts fasted. I find that... Um, Doing so keeps my uh, body level, my, my, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My, it keeps, like, it, uh, there's more efficient fat burning. Uh, it, some people say it's marginal, but I think it's worth it. So I like to fast before I eat. Not only is it, you know, it's reaching like stored fat and using that as opposed to glucose, um, 
It's also, uh, I feel better working out when I'm fasted. Once I've eaten, I get a little sludgy and my digestion is doing its thing. So I don't like working out after I've eaten. So you do you, but whatever meal is the first meal for you, try to make a protein rich. So when you start your day with something like a fruit smoothie or oatmeal or God forbid, like a sugary cereal, um, you are spiking your insulin right away and your cortisol levels and then bam, right? You know what goes up? obviously comes down. So then you have an insulin crash a couple hours after your breakfast and then you kind of feel shitty and it doesn't set you up for a great day. So what I would love for you to do instead is experiment with different kinds of protein-rich breakfasts. So every morning I have eggs and sautéed kale um, unless I feel like something sweet, in which case I do um, a protein mug cake. And you can find the recipes for those. I have a couple. Right now I'm experimenting with one that has pumpkin in it because that adds fiber and it adds volume without a lot of calories and pumpkin's really good for you. Um, So I'm enjoying that and they're super easy to make and you just put it in the microwave and it's ready in like five minutes. So I've got two recipes for that on my website. Just search for protein mug cake. Um, that or, uh, protein pancakes. I also have lots of recipes for that. And the recipes for my protein pancakes don't have like a ton of flour. So they're pretty low in carbohydrate. And that's where I want you to stay. Um, you can also do like Greek yogurt and berries. Berries are pretty low in carbohydrates. Things like bananas and mangoes and papayas really high in sugar, even though, you know, it's natural sugar. I still just kind of want you to stay away from sugars first thing in the morning. Uh, so if you're doing a smoothie, uh, you can throw in some frozen berries, but stay away from bananas in smoothies and just do like protein and maybe an unsweetened almond milk and some berries, um, some spinach. If you want to do that, I trust me, you will not taste the spinach kale you will taste. So you might want to stay away from that. Uh, But just experiment with what kind of protein breakfasts work for you. If you're on the road, when you're having your first meal of the day, you know, try and get yourself uh, an egg wrap or uh, like Starbucks has these little egg white um, sous vide things that are so freaking good. And they're very low in calories, but very high in protein. Um, But, you know, experiment, do your thing. But please stay away from sugar first thing in the morning. And trust me, you're going you're gonna to set yourself up for a better day of eating. Because once you start that insulin cycle, you're going to crave carbohydrates throughout the day. I've talked about this before, so I won't really get into it. But if you start your day with protein, you're going to have a higher satiety level throughout the day. So you're going to crave less carbs. You're going to feel less hungry. So boom. If you're looking for an easy way to lose weight and control your hunger appetite, um, just focus on protein first thing. You don't have to eat protein all the day long, but in your first meal for sure. Okay, the next thing I'm going to recommend you do is get ready in the morning. Whether you have ADHD or not, but especially if you have ADHD, this is going to be an important one. So we, if you have ADHD, you probably struggle with transition. So if you wake up in the morning and you're in your, pajama, your pajamas, it's really hard to get your brain to start focusing on work or working out or anything like that if you're still in your pajamas. But that's true of all of us, right? Like regardless of your brain um, makeup, it's really hard to... Be your best self working out, or sorry, working from home if you're wearing your SpongeBob pants. Um, so when I say get ready, I don't necessarily mean dress up. Some of us don't need to dress up for work, but it is good to transition into new clothing and show up the way you want, and dress for the way you want to show up for that day. So for me, uh, working out is super important. So I dress in workout gear and I work out right away. And then if I'm super sweaty, I will change into other workout gear. Um, or I will stay in that, that gear, depending on what I've done. 
and I'll try and do another session in the afternoon around two or three. And the reason I do that, and this is true for all of us as well, um, when you work out, when you get your heart rate elevated for at least 30 minutes, you send oxygen to the brain. So your prefrontal cortex is on, not on fire, but it's working most efficiently for two to three hours following a workout. So for me, I like to work out and then do like, you know, the, the hard stuff in my day in the morning, get that out of the way. And then usually by around two-ish, three-ish, I'm feeling a slump. So I roll out a yoga mat or I go for a walk or I do something to get my heart rate elevated again. And then I can get through the rest of my day. And I can do that, you know, even if I, I've been doing that my whole life. Like that is really how I've self-medicated. Uh, and it works really well for me. And I think it works for well for anyone, regardless, you know, as to whether or not you have ADHD. So, and it's just something that I think makes you feel better. The next one, um, and this is really, uh, something I've mentioned before, but aspire to make a goal of getting to, if this sounds too overwhelming at first, walk 10,000 steps a day. I've written about this on my blog uh, before, but there's been new research that's just come out saying that, um, especially for older adults, like those of us over 40, um, even just walking 30 minutes three times a day has a dramatic impact on your brain health, both cognition and memory, and can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Come on. Like 30 minutes, three times a day, a week. Now that's not 10 K steps. That's a lot less. Usually takes about an hour to get up to 10 K steps. It's about four miles ish. So it might even take more than an hour, depending on how fast you walk, but it is worth it. This is an investment in your health, gets you outside. If you are doing it outside, if you're not doing outside, that's fine too. Um, And it's just great for processing thoughts, listening to podcasts, like make your walk something you look forward to. I certainly do. I pick my roots for, you know, my mood. Um, I pick my podcast I listen to or an audio book or what my husband does. He walks in the treadmill because it's really hard to walk outside in this heat. Uh, and he listens to Star Trek. Not my thing to do, but he loves it. So he's down there walking for like an hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon. Good for him, you know? And the thing is with, with walking is that it's not uh, deleterious to your health. Uh, it's not putting too much pressure on your heart for most people. Um, you know, it's not catabolic. So it's not like, you know, taking away from your muscle, precious muscle. It's just moving your body and it's a good thing. Walking is a good thing and it's hard not, it's hard to overdo walking. So I encourage you to get out there. And if you can, if you're doing 10,000 K steps now, I encourage you to do more. Um, the next thing I'm going to uh, suggest in terms, and again, we're talking self-care here, right? So this is not all just about the body, although the majority of what I've talked about right now has to do with the body. The next thing is future self-journaling. And I've talked about this before, and I just think it's such a powerful thing. Journaling in general is a really great thing to do, especially after meditation or before. I'd usually journal first and then do meditation, but probably is more efficient to do it the other way around. But future self-journaling is a very intentional uh, form of journaling where you are thinking about your future self and you are writing about him or her and how you are, you know, growing into that person. There's um, 
there's a process that happens as you're writing, putting pen to paper about what you're envisioning for yourself as you are growing as a person. And you are talking to your subconscious as this happens and you start to develop into that person. You start to take on that characteristic. You are really just building an identity on paper that that comes to life uh, in reality. So you want to talk about manifestation? That is probably one of the best ways to get there. When I say manifestation, um, you know, I'm not suggesting you're going to be able to manifest a Mercedes by writing about it, but I don't know, maybe you can. This is really more about your personal characteristics and who you want to be, who you want to show up as, who you came into this world to be, um, and your best self. Focus on that as opposed to focusing on challenges and, you know, the things you don't like about yourself. I really encourage you to use this practice, just like even a page a day can really, really help. I like to do it in the morning when my mind is bright and I haven't, you know, my uh, negative Nelly mind hasn't turned on yet. She's still sleeping. It's a great time to do it. Uh, next one is practicing yoga. Uh, this can be one of your workouts. So it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be an additional thing that you do, but I really want to underscore yoga as an amazing practice that not only improves mind-body connection, but it also helps with balance and proprioception, which is something that people with ADHD kind of struggle with. And the more you can master balance, the more it's going to improve. Um, I don't want to get into the neuroscience because I don't know it that well, but it does have... Um, it will improve like uh, the transmitter health in your brain. God, that was a terrible thing to say. <laughs> There's science to it and I will dig it up. Um, but yoga really does calm the nervous system, um, improves vagal tone and improves overall health, cognition, your ability to be in the present in the moment and not act emotionally um, and be reactive. Again, it's like it has a lot of the same um, values and qualities as meditation. Uh, yoga is really the, the intent of yoga, asana, uh, was always just to prepare the body for meditation. So uh, you could even uh, plan your day in a way where you're getting a 30 minute yoga practice in and then you sit and do 10 minutes of meditation afterwards. And you're going to find you're much more able to stay focused with your meditation if you do it post yoga. Um, but yoga is just like a wonderful thing to do. And it's something that is going to benefit you your entire life. Uh, the more mobility you have, the more strength you have in those finer muscles and tendons, just the, the better you're going to live as a 70 year old, as an 80 year old, you're not going to be that person bent over like a C because you haven't built the muscles, the musculature that uh, yoga and bar and all of these really amazing mat workouts give you the benefit of and um, with the cognitive benefits as well. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing to do. And it's what, another thing I love about it is just the simplicity of it. It's just, you need a mat, maybe a block, and Bob's your uncle. And um, I have tons of yoga on my website. So if you go to my website and you look at the top bar at workouts, click on that and a drop down, you'll see yoga. And I have all kinds of different suggestions for yoga, uh, both free and paid. Um, everything that, um, you know, from the beginner to uh, the advanced yogi. I just got my husband into yoga. He's doing the 30, three, the three week yoga retreat. It's on uh, the Beachbody app. And he's loving it because 
he's starting out from like square one, doesn't know how to do yoga at all. And week one, you're just learning the basics. Week two, they add a little bit more. Week three, they add a little bit more. And, the, and you know, it gets a little bit longer each time. So he's really found that to be helpful because it's just given him the skill that he needs. Um, and maybe one day, you know, we'll be at the same level, but I've been practicing for 20 years. So you better hurry up. <laughs> um, and then there's just a couple more self-care tips that I want to share here. Um, I want to really encourage you to commit to learning and maintaining boundaries. Uh, I think all of us need to do a better job of this, but especially people that have grown up with ADHD and really just don't have a good sense of, you know, a boundaries for themselves, like what they're willing to tolerate, what's not working for them and how they communicate those boundaries to the people they love. That's a topic that's way too big um, for this conversation, but it's worth double clicking on and exploring Boundary setting is such an integral part of self-care because that is your ability to say, I love myself enough to ask for what I need and not tolerate what doesn't serve me. Uh, And that is a hard thing to do and it takes a lot of practice and you got to get to know yourself better. It's uh, often good to work with a coach with this or a therapist, but boundaries are really what's going to improve the quality of your emotional life. Finding your tribe Finding your peeps is so important. Um, You know, I have wonderful people in my life. I have great friends, great family. But when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I started, you know, finding people in social media that also had it, women that I felt were, you know, sort of my peers. And um, while I'm still, you know, at the very start of this journey and, you know, finding which groups I jive with the best, because I don't want to be in a a space where, you know, people are like, woes me, I have ADHD. I want the positivity, like, you know, let's, let's deal with this and let's crush life regardless. So I'm, I'm finding those people slowly, but surely, and it makes me feel less alone. So regardless of what you're dealing with in your life, if you can find others that have a positive attitude, I know a woman who just, um, was diagnosed this year with breast cancer and went through treatment and she just took such a positive spin on it uh not in a toxic way like you know completely ignoring the fact that she had cancer but in a way where it was like I don't want your pity or your thoughts and prayers I want your encouragement love and support and I want to talk about all the great things that I can do to you know improve my lot in life but I don't want to feel sorry for myself because I mean, obviously, we've got to process feeling and emotion, and she did that, but she didn't dwell on the negative because it doesn't serve you. The last thing I'm going to recommend, and then I'm going to tie this up because I know it's been a long episode, is getting yourself a coach. And if you have ADHD, get yourself an ADHD coach. Um, Right now, I'm going through a life coach training that is specific to women with ADHD and ADHD tendencies. Um, but it's still like a formal life coach training. So um, I'm really halfway through the program right now. And just my mind has been blown by my own personal transformation going through this. And I just can't wait to share these tools with other women. I think if I were to sum up the takeaway that I've gotten so far, um, it is that especially for ADHD women, but I think women with burnout as well. Like women who feel like, uh, you know, they're at midlife, they don't really know themselves. They're not really sure. They don't have a lot of clarity in terms of what they want to do with their life next. A lot of that is just not taking the time or having the tools to understand who you are. 
who you are based on, you know, your values and your strengths, and then gathering all that information, looking at it and deciding what's the best path forward. Because I think a lot of us, especially us people pleasers, aren't very good at operating on ourselves when it comes to, you know, that mental, emotional roadmaps. We, uh, we need some outside objective, um, in, uh, not influence, but feedback um, on our selves, somebody who's looking at us objectively, and then looking at all of our data and saying, you know what, this is what I'm hearing from you, even though you may not be registering it yet. And it could be that you're not registering it because there's fear. And I know that that's true for me. So that is what I've taken so far away from coaching is really that process of uncovering who you are and not letting fear block the clarity to where you should go. And I don't necessarily even mean that with a career, but life choices in general. So I think that having a coach is such an important thing. Um, I've had coaches numerous points in my life, and I'm getting another one uh, as part of this program. And I'm excited to get to the point where I will be coaching, which will happen later on this year. So stay tuned. Uh, Anyway, this is becoming a very long podcast. I hope it's been helpful. I don't want you to think that you need to do all of those things uh, with all of the things that uh, I share here. It's always take what resonates like, oh, you know, the journaling sounded really interesting to me in the yoga or, you know, just getting out walking 10,000 steps a day sounds like a good place to start anywhere in there. Uh, Go for it and try to build on it. But do focus on your sleep too, because that is foundational. Thank you guys for listening. It is always great to be here. Um, There's changes coming in the future, a little sort of, I think, nuanced branding changes, but uh, nothing major, just me here coaching you as per usual and loving every second of it. I hope you guys have an amazing week and I will talk to you next Sunday. Until then, visit me on my website, thefithabit.com and uh, also come check me out on uh, Instagram. I'm not there all the time because quite honestly, I don't think it's a good use of my time. But if you want to connect with me, that's the best place to do it. That or my blog. I love you guys. Take care. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening and if you made it this far i really appreciate it uh, if you found this useful then please do leave me a five-star review and also if you're interested in specific topics or uh, guests to the show please reach out to me on instagram my instagram handle is karen mcgill uh, you can also find me on my website at thefithabit.com and until then guys have a wonderful day i love you